For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Fantasy Podcast. With your hosts, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome in to the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Paige Demakos, Jake Arians, Jamie Eisner. We had another great interview today, guys. Uh, seems like we're we're hitting all these interviews out of the park. I keep saying like, oh, I love this interview, but I truly have enjoyed every single interview that we've had thus far. Got another one coming on this week as well, but Lorenzo Alexander joined us today. So after we get through a couple of these topics and news, uh, you'll enjoy the interview with uh, Lorenzo, who is currently the NFLPA vice president. So needless to say, he has had a very very interesting offseason. He's had a front row seat to a lot of this stuff that a lot of us, quite frankly, haven't been privy to. Um, and he, he really gave us some insight into what that's been like, what were the challenges, how hard it is to get 2,400 guys all on the same page. Um, and, and I really appreciated his, his honesty about what that process has been like. And then, oh, by the way, he talked about, uh, the team that he played for a while on, uh, who's got a lot of expectations, a lot of good stuff on, on Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, um, and love the honesty about Josh Allen, right. About what he needs to do to get better. Um, really enjoyed hearing from him. So I think Buffalo Bills fans especially will, will really enjoy this episode. Hey, so, I'll tell you why these interviews keep getting better. It's because all these guys are phenomenal at their craft or whatever, whoever we're talking to. They're better human beings. Like there's yes, no better accurate. person than Lorenzo yeah. Alexander, Tyron Matthews, yeah. Sam Farmer, Wilcom. These guys are all just first rate human beings and listening to them and their perspective. I mean, Lorenzo's a guy that started as undrafted free agent, makes a team on special teams, becomes a special teams freak for years and then later in his career as, as people think he's done goes to back-to-back pro bowls becomes a captain as a pass rusher plays 15 years yeah it's just spectacular but i mean the, the insight was unbelievable the stuff for the nflpa was uh i'm always critical of what's going on in there they need more guys like zoe paying attention and having their voices heard because uh, his leadership i'm all in Yeah, I'm all in for whatever he's participating in because he's very thoughtful. Um, He's thinking through everything. He's he's trying his very best to do, quite frankly, the impossible, which is to to find common ground for 2,400 people, not including the owners and the GMs and the head coaches and the fans and everybody else that plays a part in the optics of the NFL, right? And it's it's an impossible job. You're never going to make everybody happy. Um, And I think that was... It was really good for us and really good for our listeners to hear that because I think sometimes everybody wants everything right away uh, and doesn't really understand how hard it is to get everything done. So really excited for you guys to listen to that. But we've got a couple of, of larger pieces of news that happened since the last podcast. And then one really good question that came in from a, a, a good friend of mine 
uh, who, who has a, a good keeper question that we're going to get into in debate. So the first thing we want to talk about, and I don't want to get into the domestic violence stuff uh, for a lot of reasons, but mostly because I, I just, if you're, there's no argument to be made. I, it's, it's one-sided, it's black and white, he's gone, he's not on the roster anymore. Um, and quite frankly, the Washington football team could not could not deal with yet another thing this off season. So was not surprised to see this happen very quickly. Right. And so Darius guys, no longer with the Washington football team, Jamie strictly fantasy related, right? What does this mean for that running back room? Because there's veterans and then there, I mean, this is kind of, we, we talked about this before this happened and that there's a lot going on there. So now one less piece, a big piece gone. What does this mean? Mostly for Adrian Peterson. Yeah, well, he's the one I think that gains the most benefit from this. I know the excitement in the fantasy communities around Antonio Gibson, and I understand why we always do this with rookies, but Adrian Peterson is the guy that's going to be the lead back there as long as his 35-year-old body can handle it, and considering that guy is a physical freak, and I mean that in every every nice possible way. Absolutely. If anybody's ever had an opportunity to meet him, be around him, stand in, within the same vicinity as him, knows what I'm talking about. He's going to be the lead back there, and I don't think he's going to be challenged for many carries. Where Gibson can come in is they do need a more that third down pass catching back, particularly if they're going to be down in games late. That's not really Peterson's game. Uh, that's they don't really have. I mean, maybe that's going to be at some point where Gibson can come in, which I think is where they would like to use him. The problem is he's going to have to be a much better pass protector if he's going to be on the field in those situations because he's going to get Dwayne Haskins killed um, if, he's, if he doesn't. And he doesn't have a lot of time to work on that in this offseason. So that might kind of be a work in progress where if that's an area of emphasis for Gibson and he, can, and he puts in, you know, it gets, becomes better technically. I, got, I, I didn't evaluate him with whether it's, it's an effort thing, a size thing, a technique thing. So I, I'm not sure what specifically was the cause for those ailments. But – if he does that, then he's going to have the opportunity to be on the field a lot for third downs. It's going to be a productive role. And we've seen, I know it's a different coaching staff, it's a different situation, but we have seen like the Chris Thompsons of the world have some success by being that, okay, I'm the check down option on a team that's not going to be very good, that might be okay, but to be that player for Dwayne Haskins. So I'm intrigued by that. But to me, Adrian Peterson's the guy uh, moved up to RB30 for me uh, in PPR formats. I think he could flirt with 1,000 yards this year. Uh, I, I, I really think he's going to have a decent season. I move Gibson up to RB47. Like, I think he's worthy of being a guy you throw on your bench, take a chance, see how he, how he mixes in. Um, and the other guys to kind of keep an eye on, and, and I wouldn't draft them right now unless you're in like in a mega, mega deep league. But I want to see how Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick are used because if they don't trust Antonio Gibson to be that third down back, J.D. McKissick has an extended history in that role and has had success at various different outlets in that spot. He might be that early season option. And Peyton Barber is there as well. And they can use Peyton Barber very much like they use Adrian Peterson. He can be used in all situations. To me, I think with Barber, it's more of if Peterson gets banged up, that's the guy I think just jumps right to the top of the depth chart. So he's more of a waiver wire speed dial guy for me, where if you see something where Peterson gets banged up early in the season, that's the guy I want to run out and get. But right now, Peterson and Gibson are clearly the two guys, but Peterson's the one I think is worthy of being in a flex spot for you possibly to start the season where everybody else I think is more of a bench option. Yeah. I was getting Adrian Peterson yesterday doing a bunch of mock drafts late, like 13th, 14th round. He was still being super undervalued in my opinion. He's the guy. I, mean, I think he gets over a thousand yards. Uh, Antonio Gibson was a receiver at the combine. He was really a receiver in the draft. He didn't have a lot of carries at Memphis. Didn't have a lot of carries in high school, 
but is phenomenal out of the backfield. Chris Thompson's gone. I think that two-minute third-down guy, Adrian Peterson's really a two-down back. From a football perspective, this room can handle this. Darius Geis hasn't been there a lot since they drafted him. A lot of injuries, had the scope after the ACL. He's now gone in, in ADs for all day because he can still go at 35. It's unbelievable. But Peyton Barber's the perfect guy to back that up. Bryce Love coming back off an injury, still floating around somewhere in there. Uh, and they have guys that could be that third down. I think Antonio Gibson's going to be phenomenal out of the backfield. But I don't know when. The nuances of playing that position early, as Jamie mentioned, being really a receiver that's going to be in the backfield as a receiver and pick up the blitz doesn't mean you're going to play a lot if you're getting the quarterback killed, no matter how good you are as a receiving back. But I, I think they can sustain this from a team just fine. I was expecting guys to actually have a big bounce back year, two years from the ACL removed, all the cleanup they did on the scope at the end of last year, but he's gone. So there's no point in talking about that. I think they can handle it. And I think Adrian Peterson, from a fantasy point of view, if you're still getting him late, that late is a phenomenal addition to your bench. Yeah. Great flex spot, as Jamie said, and it, we tend to do this as he discussed with with fantasy rookies. You're looking at a situation and you want something to happen, whereas Adrian Peterson has been consistent for a very long time, right? And I know, Jake, you and I have both seen AP up close. Like, the dude is – My hand is, still hasn't recovered from that damn handshake. <laughs> like, I, I think part of my hand will never be the same because he literally – if you're not ready for it, he will drop you to your knees. Yes, and yes. I, I've shook hands with some pretty powerful dudes before. He literally wince and you want to fall. Like your yeah. whole arm collapses when he shakes your hand. I mean, no, the man he apologized. Yeah, he apologized. of a human being. Yeah, yeah he, he literally was, is like, sorry, man. I get a he, he apologized like three times when we did that. We brought, uh, with FanRag Sports, I brought a bunch of military veterans back there with Jake, and we had everybody out there. And the two people that were the best, right, there were so many great people that were around, but Patrick Peterson and Adrian Peterson stayed and did all this stuff and signed autographs, and he ended up t uh, Adrian ended up taking his jersey and giving it to one of the guys. But throughout that process, he, sh he shook my hand, and uh, I'm, you know, I like to think that I'm really tough, but I know the reality is that I'm not. And he, I thought I broke my hand. I was like, oh God, I'm, this is very uncomfortable. And he apologized like three times. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, dude, it's okay. I'm, I'm just not a football player. It's all good. I'd like to think, I like to think that I am in my head, but. He's the one guy reality. though to like the over 30 running back club. I don't yes. care. Yeah, me either. Until he showed, and he showed me different last specimen. year, he can run for a thousand yards again, filling in. You know what's different is he's been the fill-in guy for like four or five years now. Yeah, he's going to be the dude going into week one. Yep, it's going to be interesting, man. I mean, I, I asked Jamie, where I'm getting Jamison Crowder and Golden Tate, some people we were loving like sleepers late, right? I think he might be a better flex than some of those guys. It's going to depending on your league type. I still think at PPR, those guys are just going to get so many targets, but. The, it, there's not a lot of late or mid-round running back values. I mean, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing I've taken away right now. Unless somebody's going to completely come out of nowhere, uh, I don't see a lot of those. There's a few guys we talked about, like guys I like with like Matt Burita, maybe a Duke Johnson, but I take Peterson over all those guys right now. Uh, he's he yeah. skyrocketed above both those players. and I'd almost put him up there with the Kareem Hunts as a flex. He's close. I mean, he's I mean, close. I think I think have like Kareem six Hunts, spots like apart. Seventh, eighth, ninth round in some of these. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, that's, I don't know. I mean, I depends on how if their defense is that good. They're going to keep trying to run the ball. Yeah. He's going to pop one here and there. I mean, he averages 65 yards a game. It's a decent play. I, I don't know. Sure. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I like him. I think he shoots up the board. 
Yeah, it will be uh, it will be interesting. He'll be one of those guys for us that will probably get in the value play because he's the guy that won't be talked about as much. Not as not as exciting. Not as you know. We tend to we tend to do this with running backs especially, but he's a different specimen. Like with I can't grab him, man. You got he's... like another guy on your team that gets hurt, and you grab yeah. him in the fourteenth round as just an extra backup guy that's a starter, right? We talk about all the time, like the number one on a team. Yeah, reps better matter. than the number two on a lot of teams, yes. even if they're rated higher, right? Like mm-hmm. Devontae Parker is still way too down, far down the list as the number one guy with a quarterback he has chemistry on. Adrian Peterson's still the number, he's still the guy. He's going to get yeah. 15 carries regardless if he, unless he's hurt. Yep. Getting Targets. him that late, man, is going to be, it's going to be, that's how you win championships. Yeah, the target share matters. The amount, the amount of targets you're getting, the amount of, that's always going to matter. So this, this just means that there's less, less less going on in that room because there was a there was a lot going on before um and and really the featured guy is gone now so going to be very interesting to pay attention to during their camp uh keeping it on running backs guys something that came out was more so news from last year but impacts how we view this guy going into this year right so alvin kamara uh his injury that was sustained last year during week six missed two weeks only, week week seven and week eight, torn sprained MCL, right? So happened in week six, missed missed two games, came back, played the rest of the season. So Jamie, you're, this is, I, I, we did this in pre-show, but one of the more polarizing guys, right? And it seems like this, especially in this running back group, there's a lot of opinions about who's the number three guy. I've seen a bunch of different people. I've seen a bunch really from three to six is kind of all over the map, depending on who you follow in fantasy. So Alvin Kamara, you're really high on going into this year. So talk about why maybe this news doesn't scare you at all, knowing that he came back off the injury and played anyways. Well, I think it gives you a little bit of an explanation by he had a quote-unquote down year. You still finished as an RB1 despite being this, this down year and missing the time. But to me, the, the biggest reason why I've been on the Alvin Kamara bandwagon pretty much since the end of the season, I was tasked at, at back at Sports Illustrated in January of putting together like a top 36 mock draft like immediately like during the playoffs. And I still had Kamara as my RB3 then, and he's my RB3 now. And a lot of it's just that positive touchdown regression. And if you look over his last two years, it's been the biggest reason why I've been a fan of his for this year. He was averaging a touchdown every 15 touches over his last two years combined. Last year, he averaged one every 42 touches. That, that's not going to happen again. Uh, he's going to be able to go back that, to, to where he's been in double-digit touchdowns. And if you, if you would have normalized that last year, if he did the same thing last year that he would have done with that one touchdown per 15 touches, he would have been the RB5 in total points despite missing two games and on a per-game basis only behind Christian McCaffrey. So, I mean, this is somebody that if he gets that touchdown, even if it's not one to 15, let's say it's one to 20 or one to 25 touches, it starts to normalize a little bit to where it was, which, by the way, would still be below his career average. He's going to be a top five running back. So I, I love him this year. Yes, he has a little bit of an injury risk. He's more of an injury risk than the guy that I take immediately behind him in Ezekiel Elliott. But I think his upside is, I mean, I don't think he's got RB. I mean, he has upside where something were to happen to McCaffrey, because I think McCaffrey's going to be the one. He has RB1 upside. I think we, we're probably cutting off, if, if, if I've thought about this a lot, about who could finish as the RB1 this year. And legitimately, I think there are really only three candidates I say have a good chance of that. And that's McCaffrey, Saquon, and Alvin Kamara. Everybody else, they could finish number three. They could finish number two. They could finish number four. 
I don't see anybody else that can compete for that RB1 spot besides these three guys. And I think there's a bit of a gap between McCaffrey and Saquon until you get to Kamara. But I do think that he has the potential, if he, again, gets back to that touchdown per 15 touches pace he was at the last two seasons, he could compete for that spot, particularly if McCaffrey maybe misses a game or two, which we have not seen yet in his career. Especially PPR. 80-plus catches his first few years in the league. People forget about Latavius Murray. I think that helps. Latavius Murray really fit into that Mark Ingram role last year. And if Kamara's healthy, look, that's why all the stabilizer stuff is phenomenal. If you know anything about MCLs, it doesn't require surgery. So he did a ton of rehab this offseason. He's back to being 100%, one of the most explosive guys in the league. If Drew Brees is regressing, it only helps Kamara, in my opinion. A lot of those checkdowns, quicker stuff out of the backfield. He's going to be over 80 catches if he plays 15 games. Um, I'm still debating on him and him and Zeke at three, uh, but I love him as well. And look, I love guys in contract years. He wants to get paid. Yes, he He's does. not going to get McCaffrey money because <laughs> McCaffrey plays more plays, has more touches, and just puts up more numbers than everybody, but he's going to get paid. And it might be somewhere else, but he wants to get paid. He's in a contract year. I love that. It's always a motivating factor for me because that's where guys will go, okay, do I sit out with this little Nick or do I play through it? And he proved last year to play through it, but he's definitely going to play through it now with a, with a contract here. And look, and one of the biggest beneficiaries of Drew Brees never throwing the ball down the field anymore is checking down to Alvin Kamara. I mean, he is yes. that big, huge piece of that offense, and he's going to continue to be. And I don't see any reason why that would change this year. No, I, I don't anticipate. I think you can't really go wrong when you're choosing between Zeke and Alvin Kamara, Jake, when you're sitting there. But the difference between the two is what kind of league are you playing in? Because I think if you're, if you're in a PPR league, I'm going Alvin Kamara. If you're in a standard yeah. league, I, I'm going Zeke at three. I think that's the, that's the biggest yeah, difference. Just, just the 20 catches more is – It's a huge difference. Yeah. It's Half a huge point. difference. Half point, I'd still take Kamara. But, no, if you're in standard, Kamara's going toward the back end of the first round. Um, yep. You know, you're taking him at seven, eight, nine, ten, that kind of spot. But um, I mean, yeah, the I mean, thing look, is, though, like his he because of all those catches, he still has a lot of yards. Like he's yes. fifteen hundred plus his first two years. Like he's gonna put up a ton of yards. Yeah, and, and that's the other element here is this. This goes back to draft strategy a little bit and, and how you feel like you want to operate here, because I think that again, you're splitting hairs. We're talking about top guys, and to me, I want to get what this was a question we got asked. I mean, I'm just gonna be a cheap plug for our fantasy mailbag show. Uh, that we do on every Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, going forward on, on TDN Fantasy account. Uh, but then I also follow up on Sunday with questions at thedraftnetwork.com that we didn't get to. And one of them was, where would you like to draft this year? And to me, it's top four. Because this year, I think there are four, uh, with all due respect to Alvin Cook, there are four top running backs in this class, I think. And if, if I can leave with McCaffrey, Saquon, Kamara, or Elliott, I think I'm going to be a step ahead of the rest of the league because everybody else has other warts, other concerns. So when you try to get between three and four, Alvin Kamara's upside is higher than Zeke's upside in fantasy. Yes. But Zeke's floor is, aside from McCaffrey, higher than any other fantasy player, period. So that's where you have to kind of make your decision based on how your league drafts, how you feel. You know, do, are, are you in a league, for example, do you agree with us about Aaron Jones? And do you, are you in a league that with a lot of Aaron Jones haters knowing, you know what, I'm probably going to get Aaron Jones on the comeback. So maybe I go a little bit of a safer option because I know I'm going to have another great RB2 or I need to knock this out of the park because I know my next running back, we're going to go on a running back run in the first round. And by the time it gets back to me, you know, we're on the like RB2s, the mid-level RB2s. So I need to get someone that can basically, basically be a matchup winner for me on a weekly basis. You kind of have to split those hairs to the top. In that case, I would go with Kamara. But uh, 
and you can't go wrong with any of these top four backs, but I, I think there is a clear line there because I, I don't think you could, you know, Dalvin Cook I like, but he's got that injury history. I think we have seen what Derrick Henry's peak is, and it's pretty damn good. But if for whatever reason he scores 12 touchdowns, he's not going to be a top five running back. Like See, it's, I, it's, so I'm, you have to kind of parse that to – and PPR. You have to kind yeah, of parse yeah. that, that, that out when you're I'm looking at all these I've been, I've been doing a ton of mock drafts. And I'd rather t- – I usually love five and seven. I, I don't want to be outside four if that's the case. I like ten. Here's why. Because you're in top four. By the time it rolls back to you, you're talking Mike Evans, T.Y. Hilton, Juju, and those second running backs are gone. Yeah. If you're at ten, you're looking at Mixon and Aaron Jones or – Aaron Jones and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire when it rolls back to you four picks later. And now you're set because the receivers are so deep. I mean, so deep. It's crazy where you're getting some of these guys. you got to go running back heavy. If you're top four and you get one of those superstars, it's going to be hard to get another one. Now you're talking about you maybe Chris Carson, Leonard Fournette by the time it rolls back to you. But those guys are gone a lot of times now because it's, yeah. it's just getting heavy. Uh, but those guys are just so good. They put up so many numbers they can make up for whoever that is. They're just – especially if you get those top two guys. Like, if you're looking at Christian McCaffrey in years past, like, you're you're separating yourself so much on a week-to-week basis from everybody else. But it's – it's listen, I say it every year. I hate – I do not like being number one. I like letting somebody else make that decision. I, I like being in the midway point. If you're playing in the 12-team league, I like being in that – that four spot is always a good spot to me, four to six – range so that way i can get somebody in the turnaround comes and and you're in a good that's spot why adrian peterson thinks so big if you don't get running back one and two one and three it's hard to get anybody with enough touches later on you're, you're oh, hoping yeah. for injuries or guy to come on or whatever receivers you could have six legit receivers you're gonna end up, oh, with yeah. up like the the tdn league we played last year on sleeper you got two flexes you're gonna end up with two receiver flexes if you don't go running back, running back heavy early yeah. and then come back and maybe like round five and go running back again. But by the time you get there, that dude's not, doesn't have the same, you know, share of, of touches. It's uh, it's, it's an interesting year, but it's receiver crazy. Galore. Yeah. yeah. Lots, those lots. first two rounds are going to be really interesting. Speaking of, this is a, this is a fun hypothetical, right? So this one comes from my buddy, Russ, shout out to Russ who works at StockX and hooks me up with all my dope shoes. So shout out to Russ. He gave me this question, which I loved. I I texted it to the guys. They went back and forth and I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because I think it's a great discussion and it's something that we don't really talk about all that often. And it's in dynasty leagues. And I know that right now there are quite a few people have gotten quite a few questions on Twitter. Just my friends reaching out saying, Hey, I got to I got to pick my keepers. Like it's coming up on this week next week. They're going to have to make their final decisions before they go into the redraft part of their, uh, of their league. Right. So the hypothetical here is, and, and man, what a decision to have, right? So I feel I've, I got to start this off by saying, Russ, you're very spoiled, okay? Because you got, you got three really, really good de- p- people to choose from here, right? So he's got Lamar Jackson, Devontae Adams, and Chris Godwin, okay? You can only keep two. So Jake, I'll let you go first on this one. If you're choosing today, right, knowing that Dynasty – all that it is moving forward. Each person approaches the, how they, how they operate with their dynasty league different. Some people are like, listen, I know I got a good shot this year. I'm going all in, or they're thinking, okay, I want, I want to lock up Lamar for the next five years. Right. 
So what are your thoughts on, on this question and who are you keeping? So if I break it down, my, my initial gut says Devontae. Okay. okay. If I break it down, I still say Devontae Adams. Here's why. Chris Godwin is going to be in Tampa. He's the number one guy on their priority list to re-sign. But he needs to get paid like a superstar that he is. And he might end up somewhere else, and the situation might not quite be the same when he's not with Mike Evans as the number one. And maybe that's two years down the line. You get one phenomenal year. Lamar Jackson, I love. We all know that. Those guys get hurt, man. It happened to Michael Vick, who was a fantasy freak. And then one twisted ankle, he's not the same guy. I'm worried. So I, I base this off of who am I getting production from from three years? I think Devontae Adams has a relationship with Aaron Rodgers for three more years. And if I'm going three years out on this, then Devontae Adams is the guy. Yes, he got hurt last year, but I'm not that worried about that. The production is going to be top three in the league for the next three years. And I'm not sure that those other two guys, while they're capable of that, I don't know that their situations are going to allow that. Okay. Yeah, if, if I only had to choose one, uh, it'd be Devontae Adams too. Look, he, okay. the offense in Green Bay runs through him. He has been a touchdown monster. He's a target monster. Sure, does he have a little bit of an injury risk? Yeah, he does. But he's still going to be a bona fide first-round player, and he has been for the last couple of years. You know, when, when, to me, as much as I, I love Lamar Jackson, the repl- one, even beyond the stuff that Jake part, uh, brought up, the replacement level for a great quarterback is just higher. It just, it just is. I, I mean, it... it no, because it, it, if Lamar Jackson, you were going to guarantee me he was going to do last year for the next two years, then no, obviously, then that's the guy you're taking. But that's not likely. We haven't seen that. Even Mahomes didn't do that. Even Peyton Manning didn't do that. I mean, it just it, it doesn't happen at that level. I still imagine he's going to be excellent. But the difference between an excellent goalie, uh, excuse me, excellent, I'm in hockey mode, excellent quarterback and a great quarterback in fantasy is sometimes like seven or eight rounds. Yeah. I mean, so it, it really, the, the replacement level there isn't good enough when compared to the talent of the other two guys we're talking about, you know, I understand there's the, the, I guess the thought process that, you know, what if Aaron Rodgers isn't in green Bay for three more years? What if it's one year? What if it's two years? And maybe this is a five-year decision, but we also don't know where Chris Godwin's going to be in two years, in three years. And by the way, in three years, he's not catching passes from Tom Brady, even if he is in Tampa Bay, most likely. So who's going to be catching passes from then? And there's a decent chance it's somebody that's not even in the NFL right now. So yeah. there's there are too many unknowns on that front either so I don't think he has any Godwin or Adams have any more unknowns than the other one Uh, so it's a good decision to have if I'm picking one I'm going Adams if I'm picking two I'm taking both receivers Um, and as much as I love Lamar Jackson I just think both those guys you're getting two legitimate wide receiver ones two top 10 wide receivers that are young that are going to be incredibly productive for at least the next couple years and to be honest if you're trying to project the NFL three four five years down the road it, it, it's a fool's errand. We don't know. You know, n- nobody thought anything of Chris Godwin or even Devontae Adams five years ago. Like, I mean, yeah. or in, in Chris Godwin three years ago, nobody thought of anything of him. You know, it's you did. Jamie well, was on a, a train. little bit, but it was like, oh, this guy, this is the, it's the like, oh, this guy's intriguing to me versus the, oh, now he's a stud. Like, there's a difference between, hey, I kind of like this guy late in the draft versus, versus this. Like so, second and third uh, round picks that developed into freaks. I'd ride yeah. him the, the exact same way to play devil's advocate. The draft is full of receivers. It was full this year. They're talking about next year's draft might be even better. Um, And I don't know that you're going to get that production from quarterbacks, but you're right. You just can't go all in on quarterbacks. I don't care how good they are. If they they end up winning the league in points, if he can't run, and I talk about my biggest problem with fantasy is the quarterbacks that run get, it just skews the entire thing. If he can't run the same way, hamstring, quad, knee, ankle, any of the above, he's not the same dude. You're, 
you're you're hurting. Those guys are yeah. putting those other guys are putting up numbers. The one caveat here is if this is a two quarterback league, that yes, changes totally the game. Totally different. Yeah. But if this is oh. a regular standard one quarterback play, um, then you got to go with the receivers. And, and if you look at it this way, everybody is is fairly young in that group, so we don't really have age concerns. Um, I believe Adams would be the the oldest, uh, but like yeah. not anything that would concern you. So now when you want to put that in a frame of mind, where would you take these guys in a draft right now? And you're taking Adams in the first round, you're taking Godwin early in the second round, and you're taking Lamar Jackson mid, late, second, early, third. third. So like you got to kind of keep that same logic for here as well. Now, assuming again, you're, you're keeping on the same amount of players, there's not rounds attached, because I'm sure wherever you got Lamar Jackson last year is a, is a hell of a better price than where you got Devontae Adams last year. So if you're playing, like a, you lose their draft pick in the round that you took them, or you just have to take the round above them, or every year it changes, then obviously that would change it. But just flat out keeper, I'm going with the two receivers. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun question. The, the one thing I'll throw out here, guys, is I know we said the quarterback, obviously there's, there's so much depth and, and you can get a guy later on, but if this question was posed and it was Mahomes as the quarterback, would you be willing to say, okay, I want Mahomes long-term, I know where he's going to be long-term, I trust him more than I trust Lamar, or is it, nope, no quarterback's going to move the needle enough for me there? I'm leaving it the same, but I'll say okay. that Mahomes' floor is higher than Lamar's, even though their, their ceiling could be the same. He's a pocket passer that's going to put up numbers that's not that injury dependent. He can play through an ankle, a sprained knee, whatever it is, as long as it's not an arm issue, where Lamar is not putting up those numbers if he's not running. Yeah, it makes the decision a little bit more difficult, but he would still be third of the three for me. Um, I, Mahomes is my number one quarterback this year. He's my number one quarterback in Dynasty, and that's not exactly a hot take. I understand that, but – um, but so it makes it a little bit more difficult, but no, I, I still think the same logic here applies again, unless you're in a two quarterback league, uh, the same logic applies. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for, for this today. We had a good guy. I'm glad we got to, uh, answer that question for us. He's going to be very excited that he got a shout out on the pod and you never know, there might be sneakers that show up at your door one day because we gave him a shout out on the podcast. So final thoughts before we get into Lorenzo's interview, Jamie, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I teased it on our show last week, but uh, now uh, if you go to thedraftnetwork.com, my latest article is about tips for drafting from the number one spot. Um, I know it's a topic we've talked about a lot. We've touched on it a little bit here with the running backs, even though we were talking about more about the third and fourth spot. But the kind of the strategies, the things you have to keep in mind, what you have to be aware of, um, it, it's, it's not the easiest spot to draft from, uh, as Paige has talked about how much she hates drafting from that spot. Uh, but a lot of times you don't get a choice. Um, it's not like the leagues that Jake and I got to see the high stakes leagues in Vegas where you can bid on draft spot. A lot of time, it's just whatever the computer random generator gave you. And you find out 30 minutes before you have to pick that's your spot. Um, it's one of those ones where, uh, you have to pay very close attention throughout the draft. Um, that's one of those ones where if you kind of get one of those picks, maybe have a couple fewer beers than you were planning to have before, because you're going to have to be paying a lot, very close attention. And I kind of go into that of why, uh, but there's also, depending on how your league goes, uh, the very last point, there's. Uh, and there's a semi-cheat code that could kind of happen for you if things break right with a number one pick where you could find yourself in a really, really good situation. So uh, read all about that at thedraftnetwork.com. And then Ooh. later this week, we'll talk about uh, – I'll have to <laughs> – Jake making this out. The, the, I have to check this out. But then there's also uh, one coming up later this week uh, about drafting from the number 12 spot as well. So the last spot in the draft. Love it. Um, Love it. So kind of check those out and kind of see what you kind of have to keep an eye on. But uh, yeah, that little cheat code that again, things have to break right. But uh, Paige kind of knows what I'm talking about because I sent her a screenshot of a mock that I did a few weeks back 
Uh, and she looked at the team that was in the team one spot and went, oh, that's really interesting. So things have to break your way, but it could get – I don't hate that spot this year as much as I have in years past. It's not where I would like to draft, but I think it's doable. No, I think I'd, I'd be able to handle it a lot better this year than in years past, but it's still – Man, it sucks waiting around when you're in a snake draft and you got to wait forever to, to come back around and choose. But really, that was a well-done tease, Jamie. So be sure to check out that article on thedraftnetwork.com. Jake, your final thoughts on today's podcast. LorenzoAlexander.org. Get on there, check out his foundation. A uh, guy that does phenomenal work in the community. He's just an unbelievable human being. Uh, so happy to have him on. Listen to that part of the show because his insight was spectacular. So get on, check out his foundation. Get on, check out a lot of these guys, what they do off the field. Uh, their insight is so different than it's ever been. Their exposure is so different than it's ever been. Get on and check out some of the stuff that your favorite players are into and how you can help support them. Yeah, I, I echo everything Jake just said. I really think um, I said it on when we were dealing with Lorenzo. I think I said it off the podcast, though. Like, if not now, when? If you're not inclined to jump in and participate and help out your community, with everything that's going on um, that has been going on for the last six, eight months, um, I don't know when you will. So I think this is the perfect opportunity as far as guys go, as far as human beings go, Lorenzo's at the top of the list. He's an unbelievable man. He's a great husband, father, just human being all around. So couldn't pick a better person for you to um, follow and participate in what he's doing. And I know that any money that's being raised is being sent to a really, really good organization. Um, so be sure to check that out and enjoy this part of the podcast coming up with Lorenzo Alexander. All right, guys, special guest today on the pod. We've had, we've had a lot of great guests, but we've got a really, a really good one today. Former Buffalo Bills, former Arizona Cardinals player. That's how we all know him on this podcast. And a lot of our Arizona Cardinal fans that are listening to this podcast current NFLPA vice president, because he's got a big old title now. That's Lorenzo Alexander. Zoe, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, appreciate you guys. How's everybody been? You know, it's been a weird, uh, weird couple of months. Can't, 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 uh, can't, can't pretend that this hasn't been uh, strange. I know for all of us, my, my last piece of normalcy was being in Indianapolis for the combine, right? So I'm in the oh, combine, yeah. I'm there for 10 days. I'm kind of in this football bubble, as you can imagine. And I leave and I come back home and I turn on the news and I'm like, man, it's not football world anymore. Back, right. to, back to reality. So it kind of seems yeah. like that was seven years ago at this point. I know, right? And uh, I didn't even really think about it when you asked me how I was doing because it's almost become, it's been, feel like it's been forever now so I've, I've, I've found my groove and normalcy within this this COVID pandemic and obviously with football being pushed back and with retirement and so um, things are going really well you know here in Phoenix uh, kids are doing good we actually started back school this week so thank goodness I don't have to try to become a teacher again like I did at the end of last school year uh, but everybody's healthy uh, doing well and uh, just trying to find my place you know after ball you know trying to provide structure learning new things reading more and so it's been, um, it's, it's been a good time, uh, you know, so far. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. That, they teased me up very well for this question because 
although you retired, you probably didn't envision your NFL PA job being as crazy as it has been over this last six months. So let's yeah. talk about what that means because you're the NFL PA vice president. You probably right. thought, okay, I'm going to take this nice transition role. Little did you know, you'd be a part of one of the craziest off seasons of all time. Yeah. And you, you hit it right on the head with that. Uh, as far as my mentality, cause I've been part of the, the, the PA since 2010, I've been a vice president, I believe for the last six, this might be my seventh year being a VP. Um, and we just finished doing the, the, the CBA as well, yeah. you know, over last summer and all of our trips going out to Chicago and Indy and every other place across the United States. And so for me, I was mentally, um, Complete. Oh, we got the CBA done. Things are going to be good. Got peace for the next, you know, 10 years. And little did I know that we're going to have a pandemic uh, year one into my retirement and pretty much really a couple of weeks after we signed the CBA or ratified the new CBA. And so it pretty much was like CBA 2.0 and it was very exhausting, um, obviously, uh, because we are not only trying to figure out, you know, the money was part of it, but also trying to come up with safety programs calls um, to combat a virus that's that's novel and nobody really understands and know how, how it moves and so how do you put things in in place that are going to be as safe as possible and so that's that was you know very stressful in itself and you know guys kind of being all over the place worried about every aspect of a guy you know this PA stuff in general because we have 2400 players and you got 15 year vets you got rookies you got high-end guys, you got low-end guys as far as wages and, and everything in between. And how do you come up with stuff just like the CBA that's going to put all those guys in the best places possible? And so, yeah, it, it was definitely stressful. And uh, But I'm glad we got through it and, and got something done uh, to really take care of this year and next year if the virus is still uh, present in our society. So let's rewind a little bit to not this CBA that just got done and not 2.0, but the last one. My yeah. biggest problem with it as a former member of the NFLPA player and a guy that pays attention, but also has, you know, close ties to the coaching community was the players couldn't get enough, didn't get the money they wanted from the owners. So they said, let's go with less practice time, less time around the facility in the off season, but the rookies and the free agents can stay. And then what that did to veteran players, I don't think it was thought about at the yeah. time that veteran players are going to lose their jobs to rookies that are a million dollars cheaper. And they've been with that coaching staff for, you know, three months. Over the term of that, did you notice that? And was that addressed in the last CBA to kind of – I know it was, it was yeah, a big deal early. Right. So you're talking about 2000, the 2011 CBA. So yeah. um, I wasn't a part of those negotiations as like a member of the VP, uh, vice president or in those rooms, but I do get a sense of that. I know there was a uh, – right after there was a huge exodus of guys probably between years five and eight. Um, and then I, as you as you kind of went along, you did notice that rookies had the ability to gain the trust of of coaches. So obviously coaches felt more comfortable playing them early. And so I don't think you can ever, you know, and obviously that's just one of the things, you know, guys wanted to be away from the facility. And so that's the way we went. I think guys noticed that. But from a I think a competitive standpoint, most guys, OK, well, that's kind of the nature of the business. At some point, that's going to happen. Uh, but because I guess you can always think of it the other way, too. I mean, okay, well, you didn't let me get my reps. So how can I compete with a guy that's been around the league eight years? So, I mean, there's, there's no way. That, I guess that's what a CBA is, is there's you try to mix and match everybody's wants and thoughts and kind of put them together 
and then you know that there's going to be some type of roadblocks or pitfalls that we couldn't foresee or come up because of some type of new rule that somebody tries to manipulate or just the natural flow of how it evolved over time. And so I think guys saw that, but I don't think guys were willing to trade that for anything. I don't think guys were willing to trade their time in the off season to be in the, in the, in the building uh, for, you know, whatever X amount of dollars that would equate it to, which I don't really think would have meant any, just knowing how ownership works. And I think that's always a disconnect too, right? Between what's important to owners, what's important to GMs, what's important to coaches, and then what's important to players can be all over the place. They rarely align in place. And part of the CBA, you try to, some of the big ticket items, you try to, you know, make sure everybody's in line, but you always going to have those issues. I, bottom line, I feel like, and I really want to hear your take on following up on this, the players seem like they're getting a lot more power, but especially between the 2011 last year's. But, but now with this, the COVID, kind of the 2.0 you talked about, right. like they're finally united a lot more than they've ever been, uh, especially right. when I played 20 years ago. And kind of moving forward, it's nice to see. Yeah, I think, I think with social media, that's kind of one of the, the good things of social media, where you can have um, – Really, because we, we already know the NFL controls like majority of the media as far as, you know, Disney and ESPN, as far as you being able to get out and just speak your mind and say whatever you want to say on air, right? And so social media has really given us the ability from a union standpoint and an individual standpoint to really voice your concerns and really show collectively that we are all in this together and really uh, garner, um, you know, public opinion in a lot of ways. So I would definitely agree with you that that's, that's happened. Um, but I mean, it could be very dangerous as well because it's, it's, it's worked against us too in some ways, you know, it just gives everybody a voice and ability to come together, which we've been able to do. But I think a lot of it has to be done because we've had some leverage, especially with this last CBA, because we had to follow the science. At the end of the day, no matter what you wanted to do, you had to follow the science. And because we were able to leverage that and what the community is going through, they had, the, the league almost had to consent to, to a lot of the protocols in that regard. And then as far as um, the economic side of it in this last CBA, um, I think with any business and any business owner, you, you want some sort of certainty of how things are going to operate, regardless of maybe some outside um, influences. And so I think that kind of helped us as well to be able to set up some things and put in place so we didn't have to go through a, a year, whether it was this year or next year, where we had uh, a salary cap of like 125. And, you know, if you are a team on the verge of maybe winning a, a Super Bowl or have your pieces in place or have some guys coming up that you want to keep, from a GM perspective, that would have been really hard pill to swallow to try to maintain your teams. And I think that what us saying it, I'm pretty sure some GMs were in the owner's ears, like we got to at least have minimum of this if we want to have some type of, uh, of, uh, of chance to compete, I think really helped us as well. And Lorenzo, uh, going back to the point you made earlier, can you expand on how – challenging it can be to kind of get you mentioned all of the players we hear from the russell wilson's the jj yeah. watts a lot on social media but there are a lot of players that are making league minimum that are in different situations maybe they've been in the league a couple of years maybe they're just they've been in the league a long time right. every player has to kind of on some level the majority have to come together and agree on a structure of a cba how challenging right. can that be when the desires the backgrounds and the immediate needs are yeah. so different across the board um, it's extremely difficult. And that's why, you know, structurally we try to set it up to where we have 
uh, our board of reps, we have three board of reps on each team, which is then the voice of the locker room. And so if you have any concern as a player, it's your job to then identify those board, those, those reps, go talk to them. And then it kind of comes up the chain uh, that way to then it's, you know, it gets to the, to the, to the, to D Smith, it gets to the player advocates, it gets to maybe to one of the vice presidents or the president. And so you take in all that, that information. That's why it takes it a lot longer than what people would hope for it to take as far as, oh, let's do this, this, and this. Well, we got to hear from our membership and we all know how long it is to take to go back and forth from players and people disagree and trying to come together with a plan that's, for the most part, we all can agree on. We may not like some parts of it, but we can at least present this collectively to ownership. And so that's the best way we've done it. And also within our leadership group, we have, we're, we're diversified as, as well. You know, even though I've been in the league for 15 years or was in the league for 15 years, I was undrafted. So I can speak to that mindset of a practice squad player, the things that I went through. And the same thing with uh, a Richard Sherman, who was a low round draft pick, but then hit it big and become Hall of Fame caliber. Or we have, a, you know, uh, Ben Watson, who's a, a first rounder. And so we have a good, I think, intersection of guys who've come from various backgrounds, even in our leadership um, uh, body, that when we sit down and we talk about our initial plans and concepts and ideas, we're thinking about it from a holistic approach. You just don't have all first rounders or all undrafted guys. There's a very diverse set of backgrounds of how guys got in the league, how they maintain the league. And then I think we tend to be closer to where our body is because of that diversity and as far as how our, our, our leadership group is made up. Lorenzo, you brought up being undrafted and, and Will Compton, who was just on with us last yeah. week, also an undrafted guy, yeah. but two, guy, two guys who have played key roles for a long time in the NFL, you obviously for even longer than Will has. And, and this offseason has been so hard for everybody, but especially hard for rookies and even more so for guys like yourself, an undrafted guy to try and make a team in a regular season is really hard. So can you talk about what that would be like if you were trying to make a roster right now where you're not getting any preseason reps, you're getting a yeah. minimal amount of training camp time and how much right. more difficult it is for a guy like you, you've been in the league for 15 years, man. Like yeah. that's the dream scenario. Right. Well, quite honestly, uh, you know, truthfully, this is probably a lot closer to, and I think uh, Jake brought this up, like pre-2011 CBA for like rookies, like the, the reps that they're going to get, the time that they have to gain trust of coaches. It's very similar to more like that. Because when I first got in the league, we had two a day, so you practicing, but like in practice as far as reps, I maybe got – two reps in practice, like in a given practice. I maybe got a two-minute uh, series at the end of a game in the fourth quarter of, of preseason four when I was, you know, my first couple of years. And it was very hard, and it's hard to stand out. And so you have to hope that you make some splash type of play in practice once they are able to put the pads on. Um, but it's really going to be challenging to gain the trust. And I think that's why you're going to have a lot of guys like a Will Compton guys that are coming maybe in my, in my situation that maybe walked away, but maybe just a year removed or um, a lot of these veteran free agents that are going to probably get calls when it comes down to cut time, especially from teams that are, uh, are feel like they have the ability to win now and maybe win a championship in this time because they don't want to put a guy they, they, out there that they can't trust. You know, they have their starters, but we all know that injuries are going to still be part of the game. And so when those guys go down, you're going to have, I think, guys, veteran guys kind of on um, speed dial. You know, I even heard about a team that's going to have a quarterback just in case of COVID, stay in this city, 
zoom in, and then if something ever happens, he's been on the practice squad all year, and we're just going to call him up. And so you're going to have a lot more of those creative situations, a lot more veterans kind of just, okay, if something happens, be ready, or we may just put you on the practice squad so you can look at on film, come in and zoom meetings, and so you can at least be caught up, have an idea of what guys' names are and what they look like, and have a sense of being a part of the team, even though you haven't physically been in whatever city that may be in. Yeah, ding, ding. Uh -huh. Drew Stanton, can you pass a physical yeah. and can you be here tomorrow? Right. You know the well, offense. I, didn't, you might not I know the guys, but you know what's going on. I, I know the guy <laughs> is. <laughs> well, well, along that front, one of us on the show has recently been quoted as saying, I'm ready, I'm working in case of a potential midseason return. So is that something that's on your radar as well? And what would it take for that scenario to play out for you? Uh, you know, I mean, things would have to be right. I mean, quite honestly, I don't have an itch to play. Um, and I think that's because it's still training camp. Like, I, who, no, no veteran wants to go to training camp. And so, but I'm sure once games start, I'd be like, oh, I can get back out there. And so um, I've had, you know, some people reach out and say, would you be willing? Are you open to the idea? My wife is on board with it. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. If the first person that jumps at me, if it's for the minimum, I don't know if that's worth it for me at my age and, and my, what I'm willing to put on, on pause. My family's situated out here and coming back. And that's another year of, putting my body on the line. But with that said, I am preparing myself because I don't know if the, the right opportunity may come along. And if I make that decision, when I step back in there, I'm, I'm coming back with the mindset of how I left the game, being a dominant, impactful player that can move, hit, anything that's moving it, and be productive. Um, I just don't want to be a guy to stand on the sideline and I'm like, oh God, oh, no, I, I don't <laughs> want that mentality. If I come back, you're getting the best of me. And so I've been working out, just worked out this morning on some positioning skill stuff. And so I'm feeling good. And even if it doesn't happen, I'll at least have my six pack and, and feel good about myself. <laughs> if anything, that's been the hardest thing. I'm like, like early on before a team hit me up, I was like, man, do I really want, do I have to work out today? Nah, I'm good. This is kind of giving me that purpose again, or some motivation to really go out there and hit it hard, especially in the middle of the heat in Phoenix right now, when it's 115 outside and decide to go outside and run. Yeah, I keep saying no to that answer. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since anybody called me to come back. But let's, let's transition to the Bills, your former team. Uh, I wanted to get into some of the locker room stuff, but I really want to ask about Coach McDermott, who flies under the radar. Yeah. But in your opinion, more importantly than that, Leslie Frazier, the cohesiveness of a coaching staff. We talk about it all the time on the show. I wonder why. But how important that is, because not every locker room yeah. – Upstairs is not that cohesive, but you have a guy right. like Coach McDermott, a guy like Leslie Frazier, who's phenomenal, in my opinion, right. flies under the radar. But those two guys together, what was it like playing for that coaching staff? It's really good. And I think you probably understand that concept better than anybody because you see your dad, every time he gets a new job, he gets the old band back together because the cohesiveness and the way you work, um, just understanding guys, trusting guys, knowing you can communicate a certain type of way because everybody can't, doesn't communicate, it doesn't feel comfortable in that situation is 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 uh is uh very um precious it's something that you know a lot of coaches i think maybe under appreciate in a lot of ways and i think coach mcdermott has done a really good job of identifying people that fit his mold fit his culture have brought them in and they work very well together um and because this is probably the longest tenure coach in buffalo and probably a long time he's going into his fourth season um and uh, and fortunately for the team but unfortunately for Leslie Frazier, he's been able to keep him from becoming a head coach somewhere else, right? Yeah. And so those guys work well. Um, bringing in Dable, those guys coming in. And so the synergy they have 
to be able to speak to guys, communicate to guys, challenge each other, but also stay respectful and not be butthurt, you know, the next day because you had a tough conversation. I think it's really went a long way. And I can think of a time, it, it might have been our second year we were playing, second week of the season, we was getting dragged by uh, the Chargers after we got blown out by um, the Ravens. And so Sean decides he's going to call the plays. So he comes in, I'm calling the plays, we start playing better. But Leslie Fra Frazier being who he is, didn't have an ego about it, wasn't upset about it. And so you never felt a dissension or a break within the ranks of the organization. He understood his role as a defensive coordinator. That's the head coach's prerogative. I'm going to keep coaching and get better myself. And because of that, because of that relationship, because of that respect, and because of just the dynamic, we were able to then get back on track and become one of the top tier defenses by the end of the season. And that's just one example of why that synergy and respect and relationship is so important when you, when you put your football team together, especially your coaching staff. And I think Sean has done a great job. And if you don't fit, he'll get you out of there and bring somebody in that does fit. And I think he's become more secure in doing that as, as he's gotten mature as being a head coach. So I want you to talk about Josh Allen and him as a leader. Obviously, you're inside of – we're inside of that locker room. He's one of the more polarizing guys, especially – this is a fantasy football podcast. And, <laughs> and, and on that side, he's, he's, he's actually more well-liked in the fantasy community. And then as the traditional drafting NFL community, he's, he's very polarizing. But he seems from the outside – like a pretty likable dude and, yeah. and, and, a, and a hell of a competitor. So what's peel back the curtain a little bit for us. What is Josh Allen like as, as a leader inside that locker room? Yeah, Josh is, is, is a good dude, good kid, as I, as I would say, young man, I guess you should say. Because I'm like, yeah. for me, all these new dudes coming in, I'm like, I'm, I'm Uncle Zoe to everybody. Right? So <laughs> he's like this goofy, silly college kid coming in. But his personality is very infectious. Uh, love being around him. Loves to compete, loves showing up. And I think guys can feel that vibe about him. Um, and then when he messes up, he's the first one to own it. I mean, I think when he came into the league, he had a little, he had a, like this cloud around him, but he faced it like a man straight up off the guys and he got through it. And I think through that, the way he operates, guys gained a lot of respect for him. And as guys come in, they can immediately see that about him as Stefan Diggs, I think he said a couple of times, just the respect and the, the relationship they've been able to build so quickly because of, the personality Josh is. And so he's a natural leader. And I think sometimes, you know, it gets in his way, his competitiveness. You want, hey, man, just slide, man. Just get down, get out of the way, and move on. And so I, for me, that is going to be his next big step in, in learning how to manage a game is understanding that, you know, middle of the second quarter uh, is third and six. You don't have to try to run a linebacker over to get a first down, man. This, we got the top five defense, we'll punt, live the next day. But if it's the fourth quarter, yeah, run him over, get the thing if we win in the game so we can go in and, and uh, finish this thing off. And so I think that's where he's going to take his biggest steps this year is, is learning how to manage those situations to where every moment doesn't have to be a touchdown or doesn't have to be that big play, but that, you know, putting the ball is actually a big moment because Tom Brady does it all the time. He'll take a sack, all right, kick it to my defense, play the field position game, and I'm going to go down and score the next possession. And so as you mature, as you have to understand when to turn it on and when to turn it off, um, I think that's always a struggle for, for young elite talent because they want to dominate every single play. And that's where I think he's going to grow this year. And so I loved it, saw his maturity, you know, saying all that, his steps he took from year one to year two. And I expect more of that 
uh, in year three as far as his accuracy, understanding the, the, the offense, and just being comfortable out there because he sees more. And we all know the only way you truly get better in this game is by playing the game. Yeah, I want to ask you about another young Bill Starr, but on the other side of the ball, Tremaine Edmonds has really turned into a tremendous player. How have you seen him grow over these last few years? And do you expect him to take on more of a leadership role when yeah. a player like you is not in that locker room anymore? Yeah, he's already done, you know, as far as that leadership role. You know, I, I still have obviously close ties and I talked to all the coaches, talked to some guys on the team and they've already, already seen Jerry Hughes came out with a statement yesterday that him, Tremaine and Matt Milano have already stepped up to fill that board. And a lot of times, that's all it takes, right? Just for the the guy, like for me, it was Kyle Williams. Hey, I'm not going to butt heads. Kyle, this is your team. So as you, I still lead in other ways, but I'm not going to be the vocal leader. When he moved, I became the vocal leader. Same thing with Jermaine. I moved out the way because he had so much respect for me. He didn't want to ever speak over me. I used to hey, just say something, but he, he wouldn't do it. So now that I'm gone, it's easier for him to really show who he is from a leadership standpoint. And it didn't surprise me. I mean, if you know anything about his history, obviously it's both his brothers, his mom, who's a phenomenal athlete. And actually, if you talk to, to her, she's or him, he's she's the best athlete in the family, the most competitive. And so he comes from a great friend. His dad played in the league. And so his maturity level when he got here, he already he would he felt like he was like year five, year six, talking to him and hanging out with him the way he carried himself. And so I was never worried about him from a leadership standpoint. It was just more about getting his confidence on the field because he's a guy that leads by example, and then he'll speak once he has kind of earned his stripes, the way it should be. Um, but I continue to see him to grow. I think his first year, that first half of the season was a little up and down. You saw, you see athleticism, but you see, man, why did he make that play? And that was because in college, he pretty much played the wheel. He didn't have to say nothing, didn't have to think about anything. It was just see ball, get ball. When he got to us, he was the mic, had to get the call in, had to communicate the call, set the close call, make checks, empty checks, defensive lineman, as we all know. I didn't get the close call. You know, I got to talk to him. Safety's talking to you. So his, his wheels were spinning. But you saw as he developed by the second half of his first year, he started seeing a little bit of that athleticism coming out. So, okay, oh man, this dude can play. Last year, you saw even more of it. And I said, you know, his first year after seeing him playing the way he handled himself, he is going to be that prototype, you know, like you think about Luke Keekley or you think about C.J. Mosley. He is the next one in line as far as coaches. Now, find me somebody that's 6'5", 250, and that runs 4'4". You can't do it, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, that, he's that next great one, and so um, uh, coming up in line. And so I, I can't wait for him to see him to put it all together. And so really this year, next year is really when I think he's going to start separating himself uh, for the rest of the pack and, and, and going up there to the upper echelons with some of the guys in the league that's playing at the high level right now. All right, Lorenzo, you see this division. We've seen Tom Brady in that division for forever, right? So Brady's gone. Yep. It's a new AFC East, completely different opportunity. What is your expectation for the Buffalo Bills going into this season? Because it feels like if you're, a, if you're part of the Bills Mafia or you're a Jets fan, you're, you're like – okay, uh, this is a yeah. new time. You're Miami. You, you feel like everybody's got a shot this year because this is a different time in that division. What are your expectations for, for the Bills and really across the division? Well, I felt like the Buffalo Bills had a shot at the division and should have probably won the division with Tom or without Tom. Yeah. Uh, just because of the, the maceration process that you saw with a lot of the young talent. Think about your Davis, White, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Josh Allen. 
you add in the additional pieces of Stefan Diggs on offense, um, uh, Moss, think about Singletary. They just have a lot of weapons that they were putting together. Um, uh, Dawson Knox, that I think it's, it's going to explode here in the year, next year, the year three in his career. They just had a lot of weapons and a lot of good, great guys maturity and had a great synergy, um, as Jake was talking about, as far as continuity. And so the, the, the foundation had been established. And we played New England close, so it was time for us to take that next jump in that process. And so I really felt like uh, the Bills had a great chance this year to, to accomplish that. And with time, it only increases your chances because time is time, and he, for some reason, finds a way. And I know Jake and them boys down in Tampa are happy to have him, and, and they're going to be excited what they do down there. Um, but uh, my expectations for the team uh, really is to continue off of what we did last year, obviously take that confidence, put the work in this year, and really start fast because we do have that continuity. There is a veteran leadership in that team, and we may see some other teams struggle early because they may have a young team, a whole bunch of new free agents, a young quarterback playing, maybe some turmoil in their front office and where they want to go to not let that be us, take advantage of where we're at as an organization and capitalize on those first four to five weeks and really set the tone early, bank those games early, so then you set yourself in a pace to where you can ultimately win the division. But obviously when we go into 17 playoffs and only the first round team has a bye or the number one seed, that is your goal. And, you know, you compete with the Kansas Cities of the world, but we, I think the Bills play Kansas City this year, I think. So, so it'll be, I think it'll be a great opportunity. You testing yourself versus the best. And so if you can find a way to beat them and, and have a playoff game in Buffalo and you have to go there one, two in December and January, that really sets up yourself to put yourself on the chance of going to the Super Bowl because you can talk about playing in cold weather until you go up to Buffalo and play and, 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 and be there and in front of Bill's Mafia. Well, and, that, and that's the hard part because Bill's Mafia can't be there this year. I know. COVID, it would have been a whole different, but coming up there, it's just, it's just a different experience. That weather's still there, bro. That yeah, weather's I know. still yeah. there. <laughs> I talk about it. I had to kick in that crap. That's, yeah. I was there. So you don't, you don't want to do it. it it's, and it's different cold, you know, unless you live up in the Northeast, you don't have any clue of what that cold is. And so, I know that's what everybody's hoping for, but that's what they have the capabilities of doing. And now you got to get past injuries. And, but if they come out like the way they should and work the way they, they should have been and with the, the history and the continuity they have with this team, they should be competing for that number one seed this year. Yeah, really, really looking forward to watching the Buffalo Bills with or without you, whether or not you decide to make a comeback, <laughs> right? Okay, like really, you know, while right. we'll be here, we'll be a proponent of Zoe back in the NFL or out of the NFL. You know, you're in our hood now. We can't see you because of COVID, but hopefully soon we can all rally together. So I'm happy yeah. happy that you were uh, able to join the show. We're going to be respectful of your time, Zoe. So thank you for joining us. How can everybody follow you on social media? Well, I'm on Instagram, uh, Lorenzo underscore John. Um, also on Twitter, at uh, one man gang 97. Um, then also at my Aces Foundation, Aces underscore Foundation. Uh, search that up. Really passionate about the community. I know Jake, you are as too. Everybody probably on here actually is as far as serving and giving back. And that's really what I've been using my platform as I transition away from the game. Even though I may be doing media, that's more so of being able to still cultivate that NFL platform and the relationship that comes from that to really serve the community. Um, and so, yeah, I'm there. I, be, I post a lot these days. I have the time to, um, but yeah, check me out, interact. Always great talking to the fans and uh, having good conversations.
Yeah, listen, we are a huge proponent of helping out with anything in the community. So we're here for you. If you need us, uh, make sure everybody checks that out. I'll be sure to uh, put his foundation into today's episode. So you'll find that if you're on the podcast, you can go check out the details of this podcast and you'll be able to find some more information about what Lorenzo's doing with this foundation. Because if not now, I don't know when. This is a great opportunity for everybody to jump in on on helping out in your local community, making a difference, whatever the, whatever each player is doing this year. I think I've seen a ton of stuff for Tyron Matthew, who was on earlier uh, with his, his op stuff about voting and everything. So right. just a good opportunity to jump in, um, in your local community, all of us in Phoenix. So all, all four of the, us uh, talking about that community. So Lorenzo, thanks for joining us again. I appreciate you guys. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.